We are going to start today's session with a conversation with Fabrice Grinda, founding partner at SJ Lab. Fabrice, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's uh, get you acquainted with our audiences. Tell us a bit about your background as well as SJ Lab. Yeah, I mean, briefly, I've been a tech entrepreneur and founder and investor for the last 22 years. So I've actually always held the dual role of, um, of building companies and investing companies. I think by virtue of being a consumer-facing internet CEO, a lot of other entrepreneurs are asking for for investment. The last large company I've built is a company called OLX, which in the Middle East uh, owns Dubizzle, which is one of the largest class size sites in the world with um, 5,000 employees, 350 million unique visitors a month in, in 30 countries. And in 2013, uh, when I sold the company and lost as CEO, I realized I made over 100 angel investments. I loved investing in companies. I loved building companies. And so I created a hybrid venture fund and startup studio called FJ Labs, where every year we invest in over 100 startups. And every year we build one or two startups at Novo. And to date, um, we've launched kind of officially in 2016. We've made over 600 investments and we've built over 10 companies. And it's uh, there well. And what uh, check size are we talking about? So, because, uh, so first of all, we play mostly in the early stages. So we're pre-seed, seed, seed extension, and A investors for the most part, but we also will invest later, uh, even first-time checks. Uh, and we don't lead, we don't price. We really behave more like angel investors in terms of like being super thoughtful and helpful. And we... We write reasonably small checks. We never want to be competing with the large VCs from an allocation perspective. We have minimum check sizes or ownership requirements. Average check size rent 500K, um, and it varies. Like at seed, it's like 250K. At seed, it's like 500K. At A, it's like 750K. At B, it's like a million. And, and it's always signed in a way to not be competing with the leads. How uh, big is the fund at JLAM? So the current fund we're investing um, and actually not including your capital. To date, we've deployed about 270 Sorry, uh, million. You, you broke off for a moment. I did not catch. What did you say? How big is the fund? Uh, so fund, fund two, which is the fund we're currently being deployed out of, is about 175 million. And to date, we've deployed about 270 million, of which over 100 million is actually personal capital. And uh, we deploy these days uh, over 50 million a year. And which, you know, makes the math kind of work, right? 100 investments, 500K a pop, uh, that's 50 million. Okay. And uh, what do you like to invest in in terms of sector or style of business? What's your sweet spot? So we we have one very, one specificity, and that is the business model that we like to invest in. And the business model we like to invest in are marketplaces. We like to invest in companies that are intermediaries between buyers of something and sellers of mm -hmm. something. Now, that could be a service, it could be a product, it could be multiple, there could be multiple models. And so, you know, something like Alibaba, which we invested in back in the day, uh, would, would qualify. But also, many of the fintech startups that are intermediaries between uh, the borrowers and the lenders are marketplace. And yeah. so, sweet spot, so marketplaces is really the, the, the focus. But then beyond marketplaces, it's every geography, every every industry, every stage. But that said, there's more still areas where we focus more than the other. So on average, we're 70% seed, 70% U.S., 
uh, and 70% market bases. But that said, we are global investors. We're 20% of Western Europe and 10% of the rest of the world. We have like uh, I think 10 investors in the Middle East. We have a number of investors in India, Brazil, and, and, and other emerging markets like Nigeria, Kenya, you know, Algeria, etc. And um, while we are mostly early, uh, we do have 30% of the investments that are actually Series B, Series C, Series D, etc. Okay. So let's um, let's do some examples of what you've invested in, and um, you know that are representative and that you're particularly proud of, and uh, and learn a bit more about your companies. Yeah. So we started, or what we really like is, first of all, we're thesis driven. So we actually think through, okay, where is the world heading from a general direction perspective, and both in marketplaces and in meta trends. So we have a specific thesis of three things that are happening right now in, in marketplaces. One is the multi-category horizontal sites are being verticalized. And so an example yeah. there would be taking a vertical of eBay, and we invest in a company called like TCG Player. They're a magic, the gathering marketplace. So to most people, that might sound ridiculous, but actually they're doing 200 million or, or more in sales, and they're doing really well because they've taken a category and they completely own it. We're verticalizing yeah. a, lot, a lot of the food companies. So in the U.S., you know, you have Uber Eats, you have Seamless Grubhub, you, you, have, you, you have DoorDash, uh, but we, we've invested in a company called Slice. Slice is a pizza uh, food company, and they're probably on track to do over a billion in sales next year, and they're doing really well and are profitable. And, and most people look at these investors and are like, wait a minute, does it really make sense when you have these existing incumbents to actually create these verticals? And that's because... When you layer on our perspective and where the future of work is, they're putting themselves in the shoes of the consumer instead of the shoes of the provider. Right? Imagine you're Luigi, you own your little pizzeria. What is it you want to be doing? Well, you want to be cooking pizza. What is it you don't want to be doing? Picking up the phone, creating a website, answering questions on TripAdvisor and Yelp and, and Google. And so this company Slice does all the back office for these mom and pop pizzerias, allowing them to do the job they love to do. and over the last year, grown to probably what is going to be a billion-dollar company next year. And so these types of investments, like verticalized and very bespoke for each category, is something we've done a lot of. Like, for instance, we're investors in a company called RigUp. RigUp is an oil services labor marketplace. And so if you're Schlumberger and you want to hire a welder to work in a special drill in, in the North Sea, they will find you the person to do that. And they've grown to several billion a year in, in sales, from nothing, and again, very integrated, working very deeply in their industry, and an intermediary between the workers, which is the supply and the demand, which are the oil companies. Very good, very interesting. And um, uh, we have seen actually several investors come and discuss vertical marketplaces, SaaS-enabled marketplaces, a trend that we've heard quite a bit, where Absolutely. you have two sides of the marketplace and you create a SaaS for each side, and then when you have critical mass, so you turn that into a marketplace. We're seeing that as well quite a bit. Are you seeing that in your portfolio? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the three trends in marketplaces are verticalization. They're reinventing the old-school marketplaces where the buyer and the seller need to talk to one where the marketplace fix your supply. Uh, we call this marketplace fix. And the third one is B2B places. But overlaid on all of that is the approach to the market. And the approach that we're seeing that is the most common is building a SaaS tool for one or both sides of the market and giving it away for free 
to be embedded in the decision-making process in order to build a successful marketplace. So even the first one I, I gave an example of, the TCG player in the Magic the Gathering space, they actually provide a, a software solution to the comic book stores to manage their inventory in exchange a lot of them to post. So absolutely, SaaS enabled marketplace is a mega trend and it's happening in every sector. Yeah. So um, I, it, it sounds like your strategy is to go for the unicorns in uh, looking for the unicorns, yes? Well, yes and no. Obviously, we, all the companies we wanted, we invested, we want them to have the potential to be billion-dollar companies. And, and obviously, if you're building a venture startup, you need to be able to return venture-backed style returns, so the 10x return on investment. That said, in our case, we've actually, I mean, we've had over 150 exits, and we've made money on over half of these deals, and our average is like 4x. So you, we don't need you to be a unit to be to risks or such that would be value companies that we, we invest in valuations we need there in businesses that have good unit economics. And so if we invest at a 10 million valuation and we sell 50, that's fine. Everyone, everyone's happy. So that said, uh, you would, we would like to have the potential upside of the company being a billion dollar company. And in fact, in our portfolio, uh, 23 companies have gone from zero to being a unicorn and another 25 companies or so we invested in were already unicorns, but have created more than a billion in value since. So, um, you know, the other trend that we are seeing is, uh, you know, there are like a thousand plus micro VCs in the market right now, you know, fund sizes between 10 million, 15 million, 25 million, 50 million. And many of these funds are actually investing in you know, on, a, on an investment thesis that it's going to be a, an early exit, they're going to do something very capital efficient, solve a problem, and get a strategic exit in a couple of years or with a very small amount of investment. We are we are seeing that trend quite extensively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I would say that most of our assets actually come from secondaries along the way. Um, now, you can't exit any every company in the portfolio way you could only exit the very best ones the companies that are doing the best the vcs when they look at the next round or, or would like to get more exposure and are considering buying at, buying at the early investors now you can only do that if you own a small percentage of the company because otherwise you're sending a very negative signal that you're selling and and company is doing so well that people actually want to buy part of it and so it is definitely an, a, a, an increasing trend you can see that if you look at no, the but I think you are, you're hinting at a, at a different trend. I think you're right. That trend also exists. There's two trends. Um, people are selling to later round investors, the Series A, Series B investors, but I'm also talking about strategic exits where it's basically bootstrapping to exit straight away. There, that's not a negative signal. If you get a strategic offer. I know. Bootstrapping to exit, yeah, that, that would the type of thing we would like to fund because I think we want to, we want the optionality of the company being very, very big. Yeah. But definitely as a founder, by the way, uh, uh, bootstrapping exit is fantastic for you. You may, you make you make you make fair amount of money. The, and, and, and by the way, and, and we're not against, by the way, as investors exits, right? If you try to build a company and we realize, Oh, this will work better if you're part of another group then we, yeah. In fact, my company I sold, I mean, it was already reasonably large, so it was hundreds of millions in value, but the, the 
reason I sold it, and I, I sold it to Naspers, which is the South African media company, yeah. is because I realized that it would be long, it would do a lot better with their financial backing and with the media that they could push than, uh, than as an independent. I didn't sell because I wanted to sell. In my ideal world, I would have never sold it, but I realized that it was actually better for the company part of a larger group than to be independent. So these strategic actions, I mean, totally make sense. And, and, and when is the right time for the company to sell, you should, you should pursue them. But that said, would I want as an investor to back a team whose objective get a short-term strategic exit? No, not particularly, that's not particularly compelling. Yeah. So uh, what are your predictions on post-COVID trends? What are you seeing? What are you predicting, projecting? What, uh, what kinds of businesses would you like to invest in that are um, driven off the post-COVID uh, well, first of all, if you, if you take a step back, uh, crises in general are, are, are extraordinary accelerators or underlying trends. And also, there are okay. extraordinary generators of productivity rate. I mean, if you look in, in the 20th century, the Great Depression is actually the period during which we had the highest productivity growth in the U.S. because necessity is the mother of invention. Now, of course, there's a full human suffering that came along with it. By the way, if you look at the most interesting defining companies in the last decade, the Ubers and Airbnbs of the world, or Slack and WhatsApp, they all came out of the 2007-2008-2009 recession. And, and it's not a coincidence, because uh, for Uber, that's when you had the, the labor pool willing to be drivers and have a second job. And for Airbnb, you had people that needed ex- incremental income, and, and it gave them the they were willing for the first time to let people in their home. And the same thing is happening here. We're seeing a fundamental acceleration of e-commerce prior to prior to covid in the u.s e-commerce 15% penetration of overall commerce and has grown to 25% and i don't see it going back uh we had we're only scratching the surface in telemedicine now we have 25% of the population that's actually had a virtual uh telemedicine online education was only in its infancy and it's in and it and is accelerating pretty funnily yeah. gaming is accelerating and, and even frankly online public services and so if we look at our portfolio, actually, despite terrible human health-wise and economic suffering, most of our startups are actually doing extremely well because the, the underlying trends have been accelerated. So if you're in food delivery, for instance, we're seeing a lot of stuff that multiplied by 5 or 6x in a few months, much more so than they ever expected. And most of our e-commerce companies are doing really well. So that trend, I mean, those trends will not change. We're not going to go back to the underlying base level. And so we're still investing very aggressively in everything that is towards the digitization of commerce, of health, of education, and, and, and of remote work. Now, remote work, probably there's going to be a, a, a form of level of return to the mean, even though greater flexibility is going to become the norm. Now, that said, there are a few sectors that are especially negatively affected uh, that we are not investing in right now, because the time between it a Series A or a seed in an A, and an A and B is about 18 months. And if the company doesn't have the ability to get to the next stage, then it, it is, it's most likely going to die. And so if you're in tourism, if you travel, if you're in offline events, you know, you're, you're through no fault of your own, actually unfortunately penalized by COVID, and, and many of our companies in the portfolio have seen their revenues fall by 95% in these categories. But if I do a a, a, a step ordering, 90% of the portfolio is doing at least as well as better or better than before, and of that, maybe half is doing extremely well, and then 10% is a total disaster. 
And we want to continue being in, investing in line with the continued digitization of commerce, health, education, gaming, and, and, and remote work in general, and flexibility towards work in general. Yeah. Very good. Fabrice, thank you for your insights, and um, we'll, uh, we'll stop sending deals your way now that we have uh, established contacts and uh, had a conversation about your investment thesis. Thank you for coming today. No, thank you for having me. I'm always available, and uh, good luck. Thank you.